0: got a lot to talk about a lot of all over the place kind of stuff Pacers play the Celtics last night looks like a close game another less than four point loss for the Pacers for the record but it was one of the worst ugliest performances of the season really for both teams the Pacers should not be killed as much for playing poorly because the Celtics also sucked which made the Pacers be in it the whole time but the Pacers played horrible they lose in Boston talk about another close loss what went wrong for the Pacers what they can do better against Boston on Wednesday. Then I want to talk about Justin Holiday because Justin Holiday had another stinker of an offensive performance, had a good defensive game to his credit, and we'll, we'll talk about that, and what it could mean for this team going forward if he could either recover or not recover from his struggle since returning from COVID. And then, at the end, Shams Trania with his latest inside pass via The Athletic drops some Pacers news, want to talk about it, what it could mean, stuff to watch out for as the trade market heats up. Always, though, always, always starting with the games, because that is why... The Pacers are a thing. They are a basketball team. We're going to talk about basketball. And they lose to the Celtics in overtime, one hundred one ninety eight. The final score, a Pacers score less than 100 in overtime. Disgusting game from the Pacers. They shoot less than 40% from the field, 38.3%. And the Celtics shoot 39.8%. Both teams shoot under 40%. It was a disgusting game. Both teams under 30% from deep. 17 turnovers for the Pacers. 20 for Boston. 19 fouls for Boston. 21 For the Pacers, it it was a gross game, really gross game. Pacers end up losing this one at the free throw line, really, where the Celtics get eight more points than the Pacers. Everywhere else, they were about generally even statistically, which is pretty pretty interesting to see in retrospect. But it was a really gross game for the Pacers. I mean, they had 39 points at halftime. They had little matchup answers for the the two-headed monster that the Celtics run out with, with Tatum and Brown. You know, at the start of the game, like, Dwayne Washington is guarding Jason Tatum for some possessions. Like, that's just not going to work. Tatum ends up with an ugly 24, but it's still 24 points. Like, it, he still played very well. It, it, it was strange early in the game. And, like, Lance came in in the first quarter, and he wasn't playing with Domas. And Justin Holliday had some ugly turnovers. And Lance, it seems like, should be paired at the hip with Domas. They fixed that in the second half uh, after how the game started. So just really gross first half of the Pacers. 39 points will never cut it. And, and you can dice up the rest of the game all you want, and I will. But when you only scored 39 points in a half, you're just not going to win, even if you're only down three points at the half, because Pacers have 50 in the second half, which isn't great, especially in the modern NBA. But 50 is like survivable. The final score in overtime was 101-98. If they score 50 in the first half, they definitely win. So the first quarter and really the first half in general was killer for them uh, in this game, and they couldn't really recover from it. The third quarter, they got some good key for Sykes minutes. He came out looking really alive and scored seven really fast, but mostly just painful offense for much of that quarter. They only really scored 21. The fourth was their best stretch playing Sabonis alongside three wings in Tory Craig, Justin holiday and O'Shea Brissett, because they had a lot of just painful, gross moments in this game. It probably was their worst offensive performance of the season. Stylistically, I think they've played worst total games this season. You know, that Miami game that was definitely their lowest point back in December uh, immediately jumps to, jumps to mind for most people. But, this was one of their worst, if not their number one worst offensive performance of the season after 32 minutes of action, right? So we're late late in the third, mid-third here. The Pacers had 48 points. Like, I know I already said they had 39 at halftime, but they were only scored nine in the first, like, eight minutes of the third quarter, too. Nothing was falling for this team, and some of it was just misses. Like Sabonis said after the game, we were missing a lot of shots early in this game, and that's true. That's factual. I'm not going to... Be a little Sabonis' opinion on that. And he's right. And he he had a decent game. We'll get to him and some some guys specifically, but that they couldn't like their offensive rhythm just was totally off. Like it took a lot of work for them to not even get good shots, to get okay shots. And some of it was just hoping someone can create one-on-one, or Sabonis could create in the post, or Tori Craig could create a little bit. They were relying on him. And Jeremy Lamb was the only guy for most of the game that had any success creating for himself, credit to Jeremy Lamb, by the way, for in the first half being quite literally their only effective offensive player. And he only finished with 11 points because he had a rough second half, but he was key for them getting this game to overtime in the first place. Had they won, I think his role would have been a little more important and and more discussed in this game and ended up losing. Like at one point in this game, there was a missed free throw from the Celtics and then an eight-second violation on the Pacers not getting it over the halfway line. Like it, it, It was an ugly game. But then in the fourth, it got less ugly. This is the takeaway the Pacers might be able to hang their hat on for their next matchup with Boston. They play the same Celtics team on Wednesday in Indy. The fourth quarter, the Pacers in the lineup of Lance Sabonis, who should be paired every minute Lance plays should be with Sabonis. Especially if he's coming off the bench, it's not that hard to do it. If he's only going to play 20 to 25 minutes in a game, he ends up playing 31 in this one, which makes it a little bit harder. Although overtime contributed to his minutes, and Sabonis plays 44. So it is possible, right, to do that. Lance Sabonis was in in the fourth with three wings: O'Shea Brissett, Justin Holiday, and Torrey Craig, and that lineup was working in this game. That was how they found success against the Celtics. And looking at the Celtics team, their point guards aren't that good, so you're not super worried about having controlling a point of attack defender. But their wings are really special, including sometimes Smart or Grant Williams can hit threes. Like they got production from non um, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum guys to some extent in this game. Like Josh Richardson shot okay and had nine important points for them. Grant Williams had a huge corner three at one point. Like They got not embarrassing production from the rest of their forward-sized guys. So when the Pacers went to that that group with the three wings, it worked really well. That group was the secret sauce that got this game into OT for the Pacers. Full credit to them for figuring it out. And they can play that lineup again um, the, the, on, on Wednesday, and I think they'll probably go to it more. I mean, they, they kind of have to. It was really the only thing working for them. That group ends up playing 10 minutes and 38 seconds, Plus two on the night they for 35 possessions, outscored them 21-19 in uh, a loss. any plus pluses an impressive lineup, especially over a 10-minute stretch. I actually thought those numbers would be bigger if that group played much of overtime together. But, yeah, that unit was huge for the Pacers. Uh, and in general, they switched out the point guard as well. Turner came in for a little bit. Like, it wasn't just exactly that group the whole time. But those five specifically were a plus two. That was something the Pacers can go to again. I think that gave them some life in the fourth. And the bench was also really big. In the fourth, in general, credit to the Pacers' bench. Another unlike-their-normal-performance kind of game where I suppose this is becoming more normal. They actually get the role-player production and not the big guys stepping up, right? Turner only finishes with six. Savonis only has 11. But they get 14 from Lance. They get 19 from Torrey Craig. Every time Torrey Craig is the leading scorer, I expect that the Pacers should win. And I think they've lost every single time that that's happened. In Brooklyn, that happened. This night, that happened. I think it was Toronto. I can't remember. He had another game where he was close to 20 or around that. Anyway, Lamb had a big first half, like I already said. They got the bench production. I mean, those guys combined had – their bench had 50 points in this game. That's over half of their points. They still couldn't get it done. So that that group was impressive in getting the Pacers to overtime. But then some clunkery. They were up too late. They had a chance. If they got a stop on Jason Tatum with about four seconds left to win this game, six seconds left I believe is when the play started. Tatum hits a very impressive pull-up 20-foot jumper with Lance and Torrey Craig right in his face. Pacers come in. Try to get a shot. It takes them a while to get it in. Justin Holiday misses a corner three. That could have won them a close game. Their execution wasn't horrible. Tata made a pretty tough shot. I don't think anyone was killing the Pacers for that in general. Uh, really, it was you know a botched rebound that 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 got Jalen Brown a bucket late in this game and some tough other coverages before that. But with the minutes to go, the Pacers had a shot. They were up four with... 45 seconds to go before, you know, Robert Williams hit two free throws and, and Tatum hit that shot. So they had a chance there. Then in overtime, Pacers, obviously in overtime, you have a shot in a five-minute game. They go down five quickly. They cut it back to three. Uh, and then to a missed free throw from Brown means it's a four-point game. Pacers have the ball. Justin Holiday's on the free throw line after the Celtics foul him. So they have a shot to cut it to two or one and then maybe miss a free throw or see what they can do. So he makes the first two. They get the chance. If they miss it on purpose, they might have a chance at a putback or a game winner or something. And Justin Holliday tries to miss and banks it and makes the free throw, meaning that they had no shot. They end up kind of, sort of getting a shot after the Celtics make two free throws. But they turn it over, throwing the ball down the court on the inbound. So the Pacers late game execution wasn't like terrible in this game. But the Celtics, you know, they scored when it mattered and the Pacers did not. Uh, And so once again, I maintain my stance that seemingly no one else left on the planet has that. The Pacers' clutch woes are more about defense than offense, and their offense certainly sh- not good in the clutch. It's probably bottom five to eight in the league, but their defense is way worse this year. This year than it has been in past years. Whereas their defense in the clutch has been decent in past seasons. So much of the same stuff for the Pacers. You know, losing a clutch game and having some tough games from from guys you expect or need to be better. But in general, they got a good bench game, and just no one stepped up who you'd expect to step up. Let's talk about two guys who were at least decent. Torrey Craig was one, eight for 12, three for four from deep, 19 points. Torrey Craig shooting 12 times seems a little iffy. He was hitting them tonight, and he mentioned after the game that he had a convo-, convo with Rick Carlisle about kind of his shot profile, the way he was playing on offense, and how he can settle in a little better. I think that was before the New York game, he said, so about a week ago, a little over that that time. and. You know, that, I think he needed that. He's played a little better since then. I mean, he missed some time with, with, with a COVID game absence and then uh, a groin injury as well. But, you know, I guess suppose this is his first full game since that New York game. But it clearly, it looked better in this one in the New York game 15 points on five of six shooting. Like, clearly, he's finding some way to be a little more effective of late. So, that conversation seems to behoove him. And uh, the, the big games for him, right? That 15 pointer they lost, his 28er in Brooklyn they lost, his 14 point game. Against the Hornets, they lost every time he scored in double digits. I think the Patriots have actually lost that game, which is just stunning. Oh, they had a win when he had eleven against Toronto. They've won one time with Tory Craig in double figures this year. That's stunning. But you know he's he's playing well in those games. It's not like that's why they lose. Hopefully, that can behoove something going forward for Craig. Kiefer Sykes was 5 for 13 with 11 points. That wasn't great. Dwayne Washington had more shots than points as well. Justin Holiday almost was there. He was 2 for 9 with 11 points. 3 free throws at the end, like I just mentioned, kind of bailed out his efficiency night. So bonus. I got this far without talking about him. A triple-double sounds great if you see the headlines that might look like he played well. 11 points, 23 rebounds, 10 assists. I don't want to say he played bad. He was a plus 6, right, in 44 and a half minutes, right, of a 53 minute game. So they played less than 10 minutes of Sabonis and they won his minutes by six points. Turner was really rough again. Uh, Turner's having a really rough stretch right now, four or five pretty tough games. And, you know, we'll talk about the trade market later. This is not a good time for Turner to be struggling. But Sabonis, you know, 11, 23, and 10 sounds great. And he played well. They, they did well in his minutes, but four turnovers and three for 12 from the field. He was missing some shots he normally makes bunny wise around the basket. If some of those possessions go better, they win this game. So I don't even think he would say he had a great game even though statistically had a good game. So pretty much only two or three guys had had nice games. Stevenson almost had as many shots as points. Jeremy Lamb had more shots than points. Really inefficient night for the Pacers. They only got great minutes from two guys, I would say, or above average minutes from two guys in Sabonis and Craig. And they needed more. The Celtics didn't even play that well, but Pacers do not win. They're now back to 11 games under five hundred and have reached the halfway point at a dramatic 15-26. and 26. What a whimper for the Pacers this year. They've got to be better. They just have to be, and they'll fi- hopefully they can find a way. I think they ha- are playing better, like, uh, t- I don't know, the perfect or process-wise recently, but it might not matter. You're at your halfway point at 15 and 26. You, you, you've just got to be better than that. So, Pajos ha- can find a way, what I was trying to say, can find a way to be better in their very next game against Boston. They found a lineup that worked, but might be too little too late on the season at this point as they are now 1-12 and 12 in games decided by four points or less. Just ridiculously terrible in close games. I brought up Justin Holiday struggling. I want to talk about him in more depth and detail because of a lot of things going on with this team and his role on it. So let's do that. But first, let's take a short little break, talk about the good folks over at betonline.ag. who would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond fun football national championship game here in Indy. And BetOnline, beyond football, remains your number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year, and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. All you got to do when you sign up is use the promo code Locked On, all one word, and again, a 50% welcome bonus on that first deposit with BetOnline.ag, who has football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, your favorite Vegas casino games, and more. Do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers they've got available for 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. BetOnline is where the game starts. Thank you for making Locked On Pacers your first listen every single day for your second listen. Of course, I recommend Locked On Celtics, but many great Locked On pods to go to as the NBA trade deadline approaches. Every player in the league can be traded starting in five days. Go catch up on all your teams, especially if you are coming from Colts land and this is your first or second show. As you get back into the Pacers, uh, it might be time to get into the whole league and see what could be going on. Let's talk about Justin Holiday. Justin Holiday in this game, like I said, Eleven points on nine shots, gross. One for six from deep. Not a good season for Justin Holiday. He won't admit that. No one, no one thinks he's playing well this year. I, you know, and it's just been really, really surprising to see this play from him, given how good he and, and rock solid he was for the last two years with the Pacers. The mark of consistency: forty percent on threes on four and a half attempts his first year here, that got him that that next deal. Thirty-eight percent on six threes a game the next season. Great player for the. The Bjorker and Year Pacers played in every game both of those seasons. Was a key player off the bench and certainly flawed. Like he's the seventh or eighth best guy on both of those teams. But a, a rotation lock, a valuable wing in a, in a key position in the NBA. This year, it looks nice. 36% from deep is still the lowest he's had on the Pacers. One of his lower years in the NBA in general. Uh, his fourth worst season from three uh, since joining the league. Uh, Right now, Justin Holiday is having shooting under 40% from the field in general because he's taking a higher percentage of his shots from deep. His rebounding is down. His minutes are only down by two, remind you. So his rebounding is down by .8. His assists are down. His steals are way down. His blocks are down. His turnovers are up. His fouls are up. Forgettable season for Justin Holiday so far. And the three-point percentage in a year, that three-point percentage in the league in general is down. It's not like so alarming sitting at 36. And I don't want to say he's shooting so poorly this year. But this has been pointed out by Derek Kramer originally that got me really thinking about it. It's been really boom or bust for him recently, and tonight was a bust night, right? One for, what was it, nine in this game against the Celtics? One for six, excuse me, two for nine in total shooting. In this game, he has so many nights like that where it, it's a bust night, and then he becomes a defensive guy, and we'll talk about his defense momentarily, but the short of it right now is much worse than last year, much worse defense than last year for Justin Holiday. So if you're relying on him to be 3-and-D, in a night where he's one for six from deep, he gives you kind of neither. And they can't have that for a guy playing as many minutes as he does uh, in the high 20s or 30s a lot. Basically, since you know Christmas or even going back, since he returned from COVID, he's playing a ton of minutes, 28 and a half every game. And he's shooting OK from three since that stretch. But that is heavily reliant on a four for six game from deep, a six for nine and a five for nine game from deep also in there, a one for eight, a two for seven, a one for nine, a one for seven, and this one for six, right? So I guess you could say it's heavily reliant on the poor shooting games as well, but that kind of illustrates what Derek was talking about, and what I'm stressing here is, in years past, Justin Holiday has been, you know, he still had some rickety games for sure, but way more consistent than this, where at least every game you could count on him for two or three triples, or at least solid defense. This year, he might give you the threes, the defense has been really rickety, and their record when he shoots poorly from three is terrible. They're now three and 12 when he shoots 25% or worse from deep. Excuse me. They are now three and nine in 12 games when he shoots 25% or less from deep. Really rough. They can't win those games because he's shooting generally a pretty high volume in those games. In those games, he's shot four or more in all of them and more than five in eight of the 12. Right? And in his best shooting games, when he shoots above 60%, they're three and one. When he shoots above 55%, they're 5-2, and two, and he shoots 50% or better, they're 5-4, and four, right? There's just, they just, I mean, obviously making shots is good. It's very reductive kind of stuff going like that. I understand that, but the volume of his shots makes it a more credible thing where they can't have him missing as much as he does because he's one of their, used to be one of the more reliable guys and they trust him and he's still a brown league average. Again, this is a lot of hoopla about a league average shooter, but the inconsistency is really the trouble that they've been getting this year where last year he didn't have as many games shooting over 70%. Sure. But he had way fewer games shooting terribly. Like he has this year, just some real stinkers of games from Justin holiday. And again, going back to last year a bit when I guess he was a little bit more inconsistent. It was down 2% from his first year with the Pacers. You could live with it because his two point percentage was pretty good that year, 49% that year. And it's actually up again this year. as His volume has decreased from two again, but this year the th- the three is down, the in general percentage is down. So okay, you-, you gotta get defense from him. And if you if you look at his defensive box plus minus for his career for a you know a reserve wing, you expect the average or a little better, and that's what they've gotten from him. And you know, it was one in his second season, a positive one, and then 0.1 the next season, and positive 0.2 the next season, and then minus 0.3 the next season, and then 0.5 positive the next season, and then 1.8 his first year with the Pacers, right? A lot of positives in there, are only one negative year from 2014 through his first year with the Pacers, right? He was a, a quality defender, at least in the role he was asked to do. Last year, he was minus 0.0, excuse me, minus 0.1, which is negative, but basically average in the Nate Bjorken scheme. Everybody kind of shrugged. It didn't look that bad. This year, it's at minus 0.9, probably about minus one after this Boston game. And that's just an advanced set that I like that kind of matches my eye test. But even just watching him, he's getting cooked off the dribble more. He's just a little more erratic on that end of the floor. Justin Holiday has not been good this year, and the Pacers have needed him to be better. He was their vet for two years, their oldest player. He's still one of their more sage guys. He's been around for a while. But he's definitely taken a step back this year, and they, they've needed him to be better, and he hasn't been. And that's been a big part of, of their struggles, right? If they had him performing at a little bit higher of a level, if he had a few more games – where he hits a couple threes there, you know, in any of their close games, they could have won those, right? There's a lot of stuff that, that is relevant here. And I'm kind of using this as a transition into, you know, Shams latest inside pass sort of trade stuff because Justin holiday has two years left on his deal. A lot of contending teams would love another wing for their rotation. And, you know, obviously he's struggled with this team. His value isn't something enormous or anything, but he definitely has positive value around the league still. And from a Pacers perspective, you still have O'Shea set. You have Torrey Craig. You have other options you can throw in your rotation, especially as guys are starting to trickle back. You can open up more minutes for Duarte or Dwayne Washington or something. If you trade, not even just Justin Holiday, any of the wings, Torrey Craig could be in that mix as well. Just moving on from him might make some sense or him or Craig. One of them might make some sense, and both of those guys have you know Justin Holiday has six million on his contract this year, still a good contract, honestly. Six point two million next year. Craig's about four point eight and a little over five next year because his deal is about ten million total, right? The Pacers, you know, this coming summer they could make a lot of trades and get decent cap space, but not enough that it makes too much sense to aggressively do that. But shedding a little salary for next year, like if you can trade Justin Holiday for an expiring deal and a and a little asset, you know. Th- then you could maybe use your full MLE this summer instead of just part of your MLE or use more of your team building tools like trade exceptions or other exceptions that for a rebuilding team to have those options in the offseason instead of being locked into both Justin Holliday and Torrey Craig again, to me seems like it should have a lot of value, especially if you're also getting an asset on top of it. I wouldn't say aggressively shop those guys. They'll still have value this off season and next year is expirings again, like the low level expirings have more value than the high level expirings. A lot of times just, Based on the way ex- expiring contracts have value, it's a lot of hoopla to say. It would not surprise me if the Pacers try to shop Justin Holiday to some level of extent, him or Torrey Craig. And either one, I think, makes some sense. And Justin's probably the better player in general, but his inconsistency this year has been really killer. So perhaps the Pacers try more to keep Craig. They could deal the other one next year. I don't know. I'm getting too into the weeds with trades. I'm not coming up with anything concrete for either guy. I'm just, it would not surprise me if the Pacers sort of sniffed around the idea of trading one or even maybe both of those guys. If They, they caught Keelan Martin, so I kind of doubt it'd be both, but you know, see, see, surveying the options for those guys given both of their contracts and how they're structured makes some sense to me. And speaking of trades, the latest inside pass from Shams Trani gave us, us a few more rumors and insight about what the Pacers might be headed to do. And I'll do a more comprehensive trade thing next week. My targets list is getting long, and I'll actually spoil one on this show Uh, as the, you know, the trade season really starts on the 15th when everybody can be traded and it's only about 20 days till the deadline. But the latest inside pop from Shams Trania gives some insight into the Pacers and what they might be looking to do and some interested parties in their players. So let's talk about that. Thank you, as always, for making Lockdown Pacers your first listen every day. Let's talk about Shams Trania and his latest report on the Pacers in the athletic to, you know, Ben Simmons and John Collins headline. The trade talk piece, as usual, and maybe I'll talk about John Collins next week. Of course, it mentions the Pacers still having interest in Ben Simmons, and you know there's some merit there. But I want to get into the weeds of what was said about the Pacers in this. Here's the full three paragraphs from Trania. Rival teams are ramping up conversations with the Pacers involving guard, Kersilver, and center Miles Turner. The Mavericks and Knicks are expressing interest in trading for Turner. The Lakers and Hornets have had... A level of interest in Turner as well. The Cavaliers are among interested teams in Lavert, and he could provide a combo guard able to handle the ball and playmaker uh, role in the season ending absence of Colin Sexton and Ricky Rubio. Then some details about Turner, he writes. And then he also puts at the end, you know, he cites their old athletic report and says the athletic reported that the Pacers would potentially move towards a rebuild and were receptive to trade conversations around DeMontis, Sabonis, Lavert, and Turner. The Pacers have an extremely high value on Sabonis executives say which makes a trade unlikely for the two-time all-star big man you can read it on the athletic i highly suggest it way more nuggets on every team including that simmons pacers thing what did we learn from that nothing really new those three guys have been mentioned in trade talks i've brought it up on the show before including what i've heard that makes all the sense in the world it doesn't seem like they'll move both bigs in fact i don't think they will for sure i think they'll only trade one of them but we got some specific teams in there, which I think is interesting. Uh, we hadn't really gotten anything like that. Mavs, Hornets, Lakers, and Knicks for Turner. Cavs for LaVert. And the the Sabonis thing, I get why the Patriots would put high value on him. And if you're rebuilding and you have two 25-year-old centers, it's it, coming out on the other side of that rebuild with one still solid 25-year-old center still makes a lot of sense to me and people can quibble over which one they think is better. I think it makes some sense to trade whichever one you get more back for. But if you want to build around the one that fits better with Chris Duarte, your best young player, that also has merit to me even beyond which one you're getting more for. So I totally understand the Pacers placing a high value on Sabonis and what he's done for this team, even though he might not be the guy on a great team. That's my opinions on that. I understand for sure disagreements with that. And if they traded him, I would get it. But that's just how I feel about that specific line. I don't think it's very surprising that they would be more likely to trade Turner. Dance a bonus, but let's move on to the juicy stuff that people want to hear about. Specific teams having interest in players. We'll do LeVer first. I actually brought up the Cavs' interest in him, I think, on this show a couple weeks ago. Very natural fit, even before Rubio got hurt, because Sexton got hurt so early in the year. The Cavs' roster is sort of interesting, because they've got young guys, sure. Now, most of them, they wouldn't like to deal. Mobley for sure. The Pacers can't get, I mean, even if they traded their whole team, they couldn't get Evan Mobley at this point. Jared Allen's on an all-star trajectory. He's probably unavailable. Garland, same thing, right? So then the rest of their young guys is like Chetty Osmond and Dean Wade. They're not that interesting. And Dylan Windler is an indie kid, but you know he's got some value, but not a ton. And then you get to the stuff that that you got to think about and that is basically Sexton. Would the would the Cavs include Sexton in a LeVert deal? The Pacers would have to probably not even probably include more there, but that's like a sneak interesting thing for the Pacers to me as a as a starting framework you have to get way more, you know, salary would have to be involved, there way more assets would have to transfer teams, but you know, if you're the Pacers and you realize you're the, the fourth worst record in the league and you can trade LeVert for a promising young guy in Sexton who is very good, and then also, he's out for the year. So that kind of helps if your fourth or record in the league guide you on that path a little longer. That's not like a crazy thought to me that the Pacers would consider something like that. But I understand the Cavs not wanting to do that. You know, I think Sexton definitely has a lot more value than Karis LaVert, especially with his restricted free agency coming up, which maybe he gets overpaid and that could drive his value down. But in general, that that makes some sense to me as like a generic framework, though I understand the Cavs completely saying, no, 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 we're not doing anything like that. And then Isaac Okoro, I suppose, makes a little bit of sense in this framework as well. But again, he has more value than LeVert, and the Pacers have to include more stuff. I don't think the Pacers are in the business of giving up assets for anybody. So this might be a tough fit without either a third team for the stair-stepping salary or uh, the Cavs having a very high opinion of Karis LeVert at this point in time. Turner, there's a lot more teams and a lot of players. And one of them is on my targets list that I really like so the list again for Turner was Mavs Hornets Lakers and the Knicks nothing new on the Hornets and Knicks Hornets and Miles Turner I mean it's like it's the longest standing thing ever in the NBA rumor mill these days Lakers uh, I th- believe have had interest in him for a while as well as with the Knicks uh, the Mavs are a little newer and Turner's from there which makes some sense and, and you know they would like to obviously get good players and be a better team they're the hardest fit, though, unless so unless the Pacers really like Josh Green or Tim Hardaway Jr., which isn't impossible, but you know those guys are a little, in Hardaway Jr.'s case, a little older and make a lot of money. That doesn't make sense if you're rebuilding on the fly, and he doesn't have quite the high-level potential that they would want for a guy in this role, and Josh Green hasn't been much for them. You know, I don't think there's a fit with those two guys, and Porzingis makes no sense for the Pacers after, you know, the Carlisle stuff in the past, and that would be a too big situation. Again, the only way I can see a trade with the Mavs is if the Pacers have a high opinion of or, you know, or the, the value for Turner isn't extremely high, uh, but where they could get Jalen Brunson, who is a 25-year-old, very solid point guard this year, averaging 16-6. and 6. He's shooting well from the floor. He's a very talented player. Brunson, Turner somewhat swap thing makes some sense to me, but that's the only way I think a Mavs deal for Turner makes sense. Moving on to the Knicks. They have to me, the most interesting corral of young guys for a deal with the Pacers. I've been kind of circling them as a team to target. They have, they have two guys on my uh, interesting potential Pacers trade target list uh, that I will be talking about next week. So I'll just spoil two of them now because the Pacers or the Knicks made the the malice Turner sweepstakes the sweepstakes list, excuse me, one of them is Obi Toppin. Toppin is older for a young guy. He, like Duarte, is already uh, 24. He was 23 when he got drafted last year. Excuse me, he's 23 now. He turns 24 on March 4th. Uh, so he's a little older. He's not playing a ton for the Knicks, coming off the bench. 16 minutes a game, shooting 52%. He's just really athletic. I like the skills he has on the ball a little more this year in transition. And seems like a guy that could merit a bigger role and could could thrive in another situation, though I understand that he's still pretty raw. And as a raw 23-year-old, it's going to be a risky kind of trade to make. And you'd obviously want more than that for the Pacers. And then Emmanuel Quickly is another guy on my list. Those are two that I think could be sort of undervalued younger guys that the Pacers could, could take advantage of. But Quickly is becoming very good, and he might not be undervalued anymore. If you look at his basketball reference page, you might think he's inefficient. It's hard to explain, but he's so fast. He's got a great free throw percentage, so I think his three-pointer is going to be legit forever he's a decent creator for himself right if he could just clean up a little bit of his rim finishing I really like quickly I've always really liked quickly I think he can be awesome that'd be another guy that if I'm the Pacers I would look very long and hard at with the Knicks and they also have Quentin Grimes who's a first round pick this year who's done some pesky stuff with on ball defense and been a good play finisher this year the Knicks just have a lot of interesting Quentin Grimes is not on my list but he's good and interesting so the Knicks have a lot of interesting kind of talents if they wanted to be a Turner Pursuer the Lakers. I mean, unless the Pacers suddenly love Talon Horton Tucker this season, I have no idea how that trade gets consummated at all. Unless it's a three-teamer. With the only way the Lakers make any interesting trade at all this season is if some team in the league loves Talon Horton Tucker, absolutely loves him. Is that team? Does that team exist? I mean, he went in the second round, so like every team had a shot at him and didn't pick him. And sure, he's clearly better than a second-round kind of guy, but this year he's shooting forty percent, averaging eleven points per game. I mean, he, he's He's definitely an NBA player. Is he some guy you want to be trading solid bets for? I'm not so sure. But in a three-team deal, maybe another team thinks he is that guy. That's the only way I think this makes any sense for the Pacers. Just skip right over them. Hornets, I mean, forever this has been a thing with Turner. They've got P.J. Washington. They've got Miles Bridges. They've got James Booknight. They've got a lot of interesting young pieces that fit with Duarte or fit with whatever center the Pacers keep, or fit with Isaiah Jackson, potentially if he's a core guy for this team. They're all talented now. BookNet is raw and hasn't played much, but he was just the 11th pick. Clearly has some value in a deep draft. A lot of options on the Hornets' side. So Hornets and Knicks, of all, of those four teams, make the most sense from fit perspective to me and the stuff the Pacers would want back. Either already solid young guys or young guys who clearly have talent but can't really get on the floor for their current team. So those two teams make the most sense to me. I get why all those four teams would be pursuing Turner, and in the Cavs' case, Lavert. So, because it makes sense, right? That often means it's a good fit, and there can be motivation to get a deal done. I don't know what the Pacers are thinking right now. Obviously, they're 11 games under 500, and they should do something about that. But what exactly they want to do, how they want to build going forward via, you know, clear out a little money so they can spend more this summer, or you know, retool at the deadline and have kind of your more of your team built. Now, I don't know exactly what they're thinking there, but. So this could be some insight just given the, the the interested teams that perhaps they're looking a little more on the younger players' side right now, which I think makes a lot of sense for them. The known commodities in a small market have a lot of value. That's all for today's show. If you got anything you think I missed from those teams or anything I missed about the Celtics game or something you think I should talk about, I do have a topics list that I keep that people request. but during a quick season with lots of games, it's hard to squeeze them into a never-ending cycle of news. So... Thank you guys a ton for listening. Hope you had a great day and we will see you tomorrow.